Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, welcome everybody to week four or five or six, one of them, I'm not sure. We're at some kind of week when it comes to the books of the Bible. And today we are going to be exploring the Psalms, but more specifically, we're gonna be talking about this idea of lament. We were in the church office a few weeks back when we were kind of talking about doing the books of the Bible. And I really felt like um, God kind of dropped it in my heart that we were to go on this journey together as a church of starting to um, discover or understand even more the importance of lament in our faith. So I'm really praying this is gonna bless you today. It's a little bit of a different message, but I think it will add to our faith journey. So I'm excited. If you have got your Bible, we um, are not going to read every single psalm because that would take us a very long time, but I want to dive into just at least two of the psalms of lament and the two um, that we're going to be reading today are written by David, King David, who wrote over half of the psalms. And really, as we start to read these psalms, I encourage you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the psalmist, in the shoes of David. I feel like, if you're anything like me, I feel like we can sometimes just skim the psalms and they kind of say a lot of things that are really intense in the moment and you read it being like, oh yeah, that's sad. But I want us today instead to really put ourselves in the shoes so that we can really feel kind of the anguish and the sorrow. I know it's a bit different. Usually we're focusing on different things. But today I want us to put ourselves in that space of understanding the anguish and the sorrow of these psalms. And so today we're going to start off um, with a classic psalm um, of lament by David in Psalm 6. It says this, Lord... Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, this is intense, all night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So intense, so, so much feeling, so much emotion. These songs of lament. And then we're going to dive into Psalm 38, 4 to 11. Again, a psalm of lament from David. It says this, My guilt has overwhelmed me. Has anyone ever been there before? Maybe we're all really holy Christians, but 
I love that he is so open, David. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I have been in moments like that in my life before. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. A psalm of lament. Let's pray and then get into this message today. God, we just ask, Lord, that you would speak today, that you would speak through this message and that you would help us as a church to really go on this journey of understanding lament and the importance of lament in our faith. Father, would you kind of unravel perhaps ideas or um, mindsets that we've had about sorrow and lament that don't... um, come in line with your word. And Father, would you help us to have a biblical understanding of our Christian faith when it comes to sorrow and lament uh, and, and coming before you, Lord, with those sorrows. Father, would you speak to every single one of us today, provide us with more understanding around this idea of lament so that it would round out our faith, add to our faith, add to our Christian walk and our Christian journey. In Jesus' name, and every person said, Amen. Amen. N.T. Wright spoke these words. He said, Virtually everyone is carrying sorrow of some sort. Virtually everyone is carrying sorrow of some sort. Such great words. We are a people bound to hope, bound to faith, bound to the belief that God is good all the time. Amen. All the time, God is good. God is good all the time. Even when life is hard and full of difficulty and heartache, God is good. We sing those words. We believe those words. For much of my Christian journey, I was bound to these things, sometimes though, to my detriment. In my immaturity and desire to please people, I would refuse to believe that having a down day, a sad day, was an acceptable part of my Christian journey. Someone once wrote, even with hope as a framework for our lives, serving a risen king, we cannot ignore the weary world around us. I just love just that phrase. We cannot ignore the weary world around us. Over time, I've come to realize that sitting with our sorrow doesn't mean being absent of hope. In fact, it makes us even more aware of hope's presence and power in our lives. But for so long in my Christian journey, it was like, no, I cannot be sorrowful. I cannot be sad. I serve this good God. He is amazing. And having those down days doesn't find a place in my world. Like I said, so wanting to please 
the Christians around me, so wanting to make sure that I was living up to some kind of leadership standard, ensuring that I was uh, pleasing my pastors, pleasing leaders, that I missed out. I didn't quite understand the value of sitting in sorrow. But it's in our sorrow that our souls recognize and cling desperately to that ancient anchor, hope. It's here that we find ourselves in the necessary posture, in my opinion, the necessary posture, where we allow ourselves to sit in the space between the pain of this earth and the promises of God. In doing so, we are reminded that his anchor always holds firm and secure. As we wait on the Lord in our pain, we trust in him and we find that hope, like Hebrews 6.18 says, that hope is an anchor for our soul, that no matter what is taking place in our world, no matter what is going on, it is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And I do believe it's in those moments, because let's be honest, when everything is going really good, when life is not throwing challenges our way or um, intense struggles our way, it can be like many things where we tend to um, become more unaware of things like hope. We're not necessarily needing that hope. We're not necessarily at least clinging to that hope. But when we're in a place of sorrow, at least I find when we're in that place of sorrow, that's when we desperately look around us, search left and right and realize that that hope anchor has never left us and is firm and secure, always available. We become more aware. But here's what I think is important for us to understand today as we talk about lament. We talk a lot about hope, a lot about faith, a lot about joy, and about being an overcomer, all really important. But what about the space in between? The space in between the pain and the promise. Is there not something for us to learn in that space? I believe there may be revelation in that space, understanding in that space, maybe even a rebirthing of the promise in that space, perhaps an unraveling of all of the things that we've known or all of our expectations of our Christian journey or our Christian journey, whether it be as a leader, as a pastor, as um, someone who is active in our community, as a Christian, there can be an unraveling and then a rebuilding in that space, in the in-between. So often in times of trial, we try to avoid pain and struggle by jumping to positivity. Possibly shortchanging the process though of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more holy, more like the people God has intended for us to become because we're so rushed to move past it and get to a place of positivity, just not enjoying the discomfort that we find when we are trapped between the pain of today and the promise of tomorrow. It is an awkward place to be, but perhaps that is where we go on this journey of sanctification. And when we try to surpass it, when we try to rush it, we could potentially miss out on so much of what God has to teach us in that in-between place. Um, biblical counselor 
Dr. David Paulison, described this kind of faith, the faith that embraces lament, the faith that embraces that space between the pain and the promise as a psalmic kind of faith. And he encourages Christians to live a psalmic faith, not just a theoretical faith, to have a faith that is honest and true and there through the ups and the downs. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth, in honesty, in vulnerability. He is close to those who call on him. When we realize that there are more songs of lament than songs of praise, it must cause us to pause and to recognize this important part of our faith. I've heard it said that many Christians, and I love this definition, it just hits hard in a certain way. I don't know why, but it makes, I feel like this whole message could be called the opposite of this. But I've heard it said that many Christians live a prosperity gospel of the emotions. A prosperity gospel of the emotions. The idea that real Christian faith is always relentlessly positive. Always and relentlessly positive. I've heard it said that God lives in a constant state of enthusiasm. And I just kind of wonder, what about when his son was on the cross in immense pain, crying out, was God still in a constant state of enthusiasm? I'm just not sure. Certainly in much of the American church is this victorious living mentality that can often result in a church family that unfortunately, not always, but can be filled with facades and masks. The idea that we must always put on a smiling face when we go to church, that if God is victorious, who are we to weep? How can we sit in sorrow when we serve a God who saves? Such a sad kind of, my mum would, as my mum would say, a sad state of affairs that we as the church where the Bible is so full of lament and so full of people's mistakes, that's basically the Bible should just be renamed all of the mistakes people have made. So full of mistakes and then obviously so full of the redemption story of Jesus Christ and yet even Jesus was a person of sorrow. He is described in fact by the prophet Isaiah as the suffering servant a man of sorrows and yet for us we sometimes can feel this need to show up to church and put on a mask and seem like everything is okay but a huge part of our Christian faith is an honesty of what is going on is the ability to lament the ability to sit in our sorrow as Isaiah prophesied about our Savior in Isaiah 53 Verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. Like friends with grief. <laughs> Knew quite well this grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. We find lament right throughout Scripture. And we must be the kind of people who get away from this culture 
of having to remain positive about every single thing because God is good all the time, all the time God is good, but God is good even when he takes away. Even in the middle of our sorrow, God is good. But that does not mean we try to run or hide and escape the sorrow. It's, it's the opposite. We can sit in our sorrow. And Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit meets us there. And for this series, we find ourselves in the Psalms, which, like I mentioned, there are more Psalms of lament than of praise. So why is lament important? What gain is there in the practice of lament? Why is lament beneficial to our faith? And I've got four thoughts for us today. And the first one is lament, if you're taking notes, is lament is a sign of intimacy with God. A sign of intimacy with God. It's not the sign of intimacy with God, but it is a sign of intimacy with God. David, who, like I said, wrote most of the Psalms, who cried out in anguish often, is known as a man after God's own heart. Could it be that in our lament, we find something of God's heart that we may not have found if we didn't sit with our sorrow? Could it be that there's something of God's heart that is turned towards us when we are honest with our sorrow that perhaps maybe part of the reason why David was known as a man after God's own heart was because of his honest psalms of lament that are so well documented? We see that even our Saviour, the Son of God, wept even when he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he already knew the outcome. Even when he was about to raise his friend from the, from the dead, he arrives and he allowed grief and reaction to the current moment. Because to not grieve is to deny the reality of love. Uh, I love the quote, I'm not sure who quoted it, that says, in his humanity, Jesus wept for Lazarus, and in his divinity, he raised him from the dead. Almost as a reminder for us, a way of practicing something that was saying, yes, I may be God, but as a man in my humanity, in this moment, I can see that I'm going to raise him from the dead. But in this moment, I'm going to allow myself in my humanity to weep and to have sorrow, encouraging us to do the exact same. If we are to look for an example of intimacy with God, it has got to be between Jesus and the Father. This relationship gives us the clearest example of intimacy with the Father. And remember that when asked how, how we should pray, Jesus' response was, this is how you should pray. Our Father, such a controversial statement to be making at that time because the regular person didn't have access to the Father. Like, oh my gosh, how dare we? And yet Jesus encouraged the people of the time and all of us together that we are to view God as a Father. He invited us into that same relationship that He has with the Father as a son or a daughter, he invited us 
into that kind of relationship. And so if lament is a sign of intimacy with God, what can we learn about lament from Jesus? From Jesus. Well, we know that Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He struggles in the garden of Gethsemane. He laments, he anguishes to the point of sweating blood. As a side note, he also hears the laments of others throughout scripture. You know, you'd often be reading and, and there'd be someone who would say, um, son of David, have mercy on me. That, that uh, picture of lament where you're crying out, you're calling out saying, hey, and then asking, have mercy on me, asking for something, crying out and asking. Jesus stands on both sides of lament. He, he is both the lamenter and he is the one who listens to lament, but he embraces both so beautifully. You know that quote that says, in his humanity, Jesus wept for Lazarus. In his divinity, he raised him from the dead. If I could rewrite it for a moment so that we understand the beauty of Jesus embracing both, it, I would write, in his humanity, he laments. In his divinity, he hears our lament. But perhaps most striking of all is that Jesus embodies a full pattern of lament. Uh, when we look at Jesus on the cross and we look at the four gospel accounts of Jesus on the cross and that moment just before he dies, what he cries out in that moment, interestingly enough, the first two gospels describe the, say the exact same thing, the exact same phrase. But the third gospel and the fourth gospel um, record a different phrase that is called out. It's really cool when you start to look holistically at the Gospels and how they are presenting that moment and what we can learn from that moment. Because all of them come together to show a pattern that just happens to be a very practical three-step pattern of lament and all in order, which is pretty cool. Like I said, the first two Gospels in that moment they describe the same quote, the same um, phrase that Jesus calls out. And that first phrase that Jesus calls out is like a first step in this pattern of lament. But in, in Luke's gospel, in the third account, it's a different phrase, but it gives us almost a second step towards lament. And then in uh, the final book of John, it gives us another different phrase, which just so happens to be almost a third step towards lament. Let's dive into it. We first find in Matthew and Mark, the first two gospels, Jesus on the cross cries out in anguish in lament. And he says these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first line of Psalm 22. So Jesus cries out a psalm of lament in that moment. But in Luke, the third gospel, he quotes from another psalm of lament, another psalm of lament song. And he cries out, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Psalm 31 verse 5. Doesn't necessarily sound like lament, but it's from almost a, 
um, place of trust. It's like he cries out and says, first of all, says, oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he, then he cries out and says, into your hands I commend my spirit. As if one leads to the other. As if a moment where he's like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. But, and then moves into almost a place of trust that even though it's hard, he will trust. But in John's gospel, the final gospel, he's quoted in saying, it is finished. It is finished. Three different phrases. It is finished, which again is found in Psalm 22, the final line where it says, he has done it. It is finished. He has done it. Accomplished salvation. Jesus embodies a full pattern of lament during his time on the cross. He expresses anguish and sorrow. He then expresses trust. He then expresses a confidence that God will bring about redemption. Fascinating, amazing, incredible. That's why the word of God is so exciting when you start to look at it from all different sides. Lament is a sign of intimacy with the Father. Just like it was a sign of that beautiful connection of the Son to the Father, God, Jesus, in his honesty of crying out to God. We too are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and he calls us into that same kind of relationship. Lament is a sign for us of our intimacy with God, where we move away from simply being servants and we become sons and daughters. Lament is a sign of intimacy with him. The second thought I have for us is that lament leads us to hope in the space between God's time and our time. Lament leads us to hope in the space between God's time and our time. Lament is the land between the pain of this earth and the promises of God. We know that so well. We know that space so well. The now and the not yet. The longing for the not yet is the place of lament. It's the space between believing for a baby and then falling pregnant. It's the space between seeing injustice and then seeing justice outworked or come to pass. It's the land where you're believing for reconciliation and then moving into seeing that reconciliation take place. It's the in-between of believing for healing and then receiving the healing. Like I talked about earlier, that awkward in-between space that feels so uncomfortable, the space between the pain and the promise. It's also the space of believing for all of these things Believing for all of those things, as we all do, for so many of us, we all have so many prayers and requests and, and cries of lament that we bring to God. It is the space of believing for all of these things and maybe never seeing it on this side of eternity. Sitting in that space, the now and the not yet. Jesus has won the victory over sin and death. And yet we still wait for him to return and to make all things new. We sit in the in-between, the now and the not yet. 
The prayer, your kingdom come, is a Christian lament. It's our desire for his kingdom. It's our cry and our longing for what is not yet, but what is to come. It's in this space that we allow ourselves to lament, to understand the season, to learn, to grieve, and to find that ancient anchor that has always remained, that holds firm and secure. It leads us to hope. And the hope is the gold that binds the broken pieces of time, that binds the now and the not yet the gold it's the hope that brings the two together and I can't help but think of uh, kintsugi the art form kintsugi when I think of the space between the pain of this earth and the promises of God when I think about that and I think about the hope that is found in the middle of it all the gold that is found kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with gold silver or platinum as a philosophy it treats breakage and repair as an important part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise isn't that so so beautiful and as a result the once broken vessel becomes more valuable because nothing is wasted i want to read that philosophy again it treats breakage and repair as an important part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. It's the, it's the pain of the in-between. It's the awkwardness of the in-between. It's the space where we live between the pain and the promise, where we think nothing is going on, where we think it's, it's being wasted, but nothing is wasted. And our God is so good that he promises to use what the enemy meant for harm for good. It's hard to imagine that God can take the pain and the sorrow of this world and use it for the good of those who love him. And yet he finds a way whether now or in eternity he finds a way and in that space there is gold in that space it's where we find that hope it's in that space we find the hope and the gold that holds the two spaces together the third thought i have is lament is our place where god meets us in our struggle with our sin in our struggle with our sin I don't know about you, but I find that when I approach God honestly and openly, not trying to have um, pretty words or trying to fluff up the way that I'm trying to approach him, but just broken in my sin, God is so kind to meet me quickly. It's when I um and ah uh and try and like, I don't know, navigate this way, maybe try and pretend to myself that my behavior hasn't been sinful, that actually it's probably fine and actually it's like lots of people do it and so it's, it's all good. I'm just like over-exaggerating. That's when I feel just God kind of stepping back a little, kind of being like, hmm, okay, what is going on? That's where, that's where it starts to feel a bit false. There was a Barna study done in America 
about what people expected from God regarding his feelings towards them when they prayed or when they got into some kind of environment where they expected to um, commune with God, to connect with God. It was, it was the question of how, how do you think God feels? What, what is his first feeling towards you when you get in that space? And sadly, the majority of people said that they felt like the initial feeling God would have towards them would be a feeling of disappointment. A feeling of disappointment. What a sad perspective of the God that we serve, who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that he could have a relationship with him. God delights when we run to him. He encourages us to boldly approach his throne, that even as sinners, even with all of our rubbish and with all of our stuff, he delights in our running towards him. He delights in our open hearts and the ability to talk about the sin that is, that is so our struggle, that is entangling us. He wants to be able to walk that journey with us, to help us in that space. And he helps us in the struggle. You know, you think about the prodigal son who came back to um, the father. He didn't stand off. He wasn't kind of like, mm, I'm really disappointed in you. No, he embraced the son. He celebrated the son. And just like that, that story of, of the father embracing and celebrating, so God embraces us and delights in our return, delights in our desire to have God more involved in our world and to help us with our struggles. We all have to recognize that God meets us in our repentance. He helps us when we feel shame and guilt and oppression. We can find a God who is not distant and heaving on disappointment onto our lives, but is full of grace who says, bring all of those heavy burdens and lay them at the foot of the cross. It is an upside down kingdom and he is far too good to us. And he is willing to forgive those who cry out to him. The answer to our struggles with sin is not to try and deal with them without God. He is the one who will overcome those struggles. And uh, we see David being an example of this with the Psalms. Again, Psalms of Lament, where he's crying out to God about his struggles with his sin. I just love David and his brutal honesty about his life and what he's done. And God meets him in those places. It's, it's in those places of lament where he's crying out about the struggles with his sin that God empowers him and meets him. And we find these beautiful words talking about God's unfailing love who's going to come and refresh and bring strength to his body to be able to overcome. Let's dive into it. Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God. He's just um, made a huge mistake, has committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he comes to God and says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I know that. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. And then these beautiful words, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's just been so open, so honest. This is what I've done. This is what I need help with. And then he says, help me by creating in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit with me. He's not running away from God. He's not trying to deal with his sin alone. He's coming open, lamenting to God, and then believing that God will help him. He goes on to say, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We all know what that's like. We forget. We get caught up in our sin and we forget the joy of our salvation, the understanding standing that we are sinners, that we don't deserve his great love, that we don't deserve to be able to have a relationship with God. And so we need to understand and remember, restore to me the joy of my salvation so that I remember, so that I remember your goodness um, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. It goes on and then it finishes again with these beautiful words. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Just an incredible, incredible um, song of lament about his struggle with sin, but his belief that God meets him in that place. We can lament about our struggles with sin and God will meet us there. Like the scripture says, a broken and contrite heart, you God will not despise. I believe that sometimes it's the lamenting of our struggles with our sin that cause us to pause long enough to make decisions that change unhealthy patterns to make decisions to seek the help that we need to escape from the sin that is so entangling, to hear God's gracious voice that will guide us through the thicket of it all and help us to come out on the other side free. We lament about a whole bunch of different stuff, but let us also lament with the fact that we are sinners, but God is not distant and far away. He wants to hear about our struggles with sin and we can cry out to him and ask for help. And when we pause long enough, when we slow down, when we focus and we feel the sorrow of our heart because we have been in sin and we, we need God's presence, when we pause long enough, it's in that space that I believe we are actually able to see real change with our behaviours, with our patterns, with our ways of thinking, that's where we see the change. Lament is the place where God meets us in our struggle with our sin. And then finally, point number four, as we lament, God meets us in our sorrow 
caused by failure, injustice, hardship, abuse, and trauma. I'll read it again. As we lament, God meets us in our sorrow, caused by failure, injustice, hardship, abuse, and trauma. The Exodus story where God is talking to Moses and says, I have heard my people crying out. I have heard my people crying out. So I have come down to rescue them. It presents to us a really interesting question. And that question is this. Does lament move God to action? Author James Kugel said this. The cry of the oppressed seems to be in scripture something that moves God to action. The cry of the oppressed seems to be in scripture something that moves God to action. We cannot force God's hand, but I believe lament can move God's heart. I really do believe that. God hears the cries of the people and he sends Moses. God hears Abraham's plead and cry out for the lives of his nephew Lot and his family. Abraham laments seem to move God to action on behalf of Lot and his family and eventually agrees to spare them. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where God is like, these people are so full of sin. I'm, you know, wrath is going to come on these two cities. But Abraham cries out and says, Lot and his family, Lot is a righteous man. And in his lament, it's like he moves God to action on behalf of Lot and his family. Throughout the book of Kings, when there are horrible kings, people who are persecutors, God, often it's written, God hears their cry. I hear their cries. I hear the cries of the people. And he would bring help or allow um, his people who were sinners to remain in his land. This is not me uh, suggesting that God will rescue you from every hardship because that's not how it works. The Bible is clear that we will face trials of many kinds. Um, I've said this before, but you cannot sign up for Christianity light or sign up for the easy version. It's not a video game where you get to choose. Is it, uh, you know, in terms of difficulty level, will it be hard, medium, easy or real easy? We can't just go, yes, oh my gosh, I'm going to choose the real easy version. Our lives, are, there are going to be difficulties. There are going to be hardships. The Bible is really, really clear about that. But what I am saying is that I do believe that God hears the cries of our hearts. And I believe that the cries of our hearts, our lament, moves God's heart. And whether he chooses to rescue us or even what rescuing actually looks like. To us, it might look like one thing. To him, it might look another. He might be thinking generationally um, versus in this life today. Whether he chooses to rescue us or, whether, or what rescuing looks like, that is all up to him. And that brings us back to that whole space of being in the middle of the, of the space between the pain and the promise. But like the quote I mentioned at the start with N.T. Wright says, virtually everyone is carrying sorrow of some sort. 
all of us have gone through something, we can be encouraged that as we lament, God meets us in our sorrow, caused by failure, caused by injustice, hardship, abuse, trauma. Perhaps you know, you're out there today and you've tried to start a business, you've tried something new, you've tried to start a relationship and it's just been failure after failure after failure. You can lament in that sorrow that has been caused by the failure because God is in there with you. Whether you are lamenting about injustice, perhaps you're a really empathetic person and the last few years have been incredibly difficult dealing with so many social issues and having to figure out how do I feel about this? What do I say? What happens if I don't say something on social media? Is everybody going to hate me? What do my friends think? Am I alone in this? You've been feeling that sense of injustice that is taking place and it's weighed on you really heavily. The injustice that happens in the world, well, in that sorrow, God meets you there. Whether it be that you've been facing hardship, a real hardship, perhaps financially, with jobs, with um, family, with whatever it might be. Perhaps there's been abuse in your life and you've been having to figure out that abuse that has then in turn uh, caused internal trauma external trauma, whatever it might be, that sorrow caused by failure, injustice, hardship, abuse and trauma, we can be encouraged that our God is not a God who blocks his ears from the cries of his people. We see right throughout the Bible that he is a God who hears. And I believe in our crying out, in our lament, it moves the heart of God. Whether it moves it to action, in this age or in the next, who knows? That's up to him. But we know that he hears. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He is the one who heals the brokenhearted and who bandages their wounds. Amen. So today as we wrap up the Sunday of Lament, I want to leave you, I'm going to pray in a moment, but I want to leave you with some practices of lament that we can all do as we embark on this journey of a psalmic-like faith. A psalmic-like faith. And the first one, the first practice for all of us that I encourage you to do either today, straight after this, this message, or um, in a moment where you're you know, spending some time with God and you're just able to get some clear headspace, I encourage you, first of all, to write prayers of lament. Write them down. Um, not just kind of have a moment where, where you're praying and um, that's, that is wonderful as well, but I encourage you to sit and to really take a moment and to write some psalms of lament, some prayers of lament down um, about things that you might be dealing with, perhaps that you haven't dealt with before, Perhaps that you don't even know where to start. You can say that. God, I don't know where to start. Help me to figure out where to start. God, I, I, I don't know if I've got stuff to deal with, but maybe I do. Um, you know, you might just be the perfect person with no sin, no trauma, no pain, no sorrow, no nothing, no distance. Like, I mean, you're just, you got it, you got it going on. Or maybe you're like the rest of us and there's something that you can write down and just start to write it. Just start to write it out and take a moment. The second thing that you could do is raise questions from the Psalms. Raise questions from the Psalms. 
For example, when it says in the Psalms, I hope in God, I put my hope in God. We can ask ourselves in the middle of our lament, what has my hope been in? What is my hope in today? Or what has it been in? Or for example, where it says, I trust in God's unfailing love. We can ask the question, whose love has my trust been in? Whose love has my trust been in? And the third thing that we can do is follow the lamenting pattern of Jesus, like I spoke about in that first point. Follow the lamenting pattern of Jesus. Express your anguish and sorrow to God and don't feel like you have to move quickly from there. You might stay there for a day, you might stay there for an hour, you may stay there for an entire year, maybe even longer. Express your anguish and your sorrow to God. Second one, allow that first step to move you towards trust. That feeling of, and yet, oh God, I put my trust in you. Embrace the place of the in-between. And finally, believing that those two steps then move us to having a confidence that God will bring about redemption in this life or in the next. As we finish today, I want to finish with some words of Jesus that he said in the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5, 1 to 8. He says this, and I pray it encourages you today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God, we just thank you for this word today. And Father, I just pray that whatever it is that we needed to hear today, Father, that that would rest on our hearts, really sit with us so that we can um, really be thoughtful of it, prayerful of it, and not just move too quickly into our week that we forget to take a moment to really listen to what it is that you have to say to us. Father, we pray that we would be sojourners, that we would go on a journey together, we'd go on a pilgrimage together, of learning and understanding the importance and the power of lament. Father, let us be Christians who are honest when it comes to our journey, our lives, but especially honest with you, Lord. We thank you for today. I pray that you bless every person in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may have tuned in today and you don't have a relationship with God. Um, maybe you did once. Um, but you've walked away from him for some reason or another and you've said, oh, I'm going to tune into church today and see what it has to say. I want to highlight kind of, I guess, one of the best stories I can think of for those who are not walking with God today. And that is the story that I shared about the prodigal son who returns to the father. And really, I just feel to say that it doesn't matter how long it's been, how far away you feel from God, from the father, his heart posture towards you is that you would become a son or a daughter. That no matter what's gone on, no matter what's gone on in your life, 
that we can boldly approach God's throne because of what Jesus did for us and we can run to the embrace of a father who wants to fill our lives with his presence, who wants to do this life with us. And so if that's you today, I would love to pray a prayer. And by praying this prayer, simply, I mean, it's a powerful picture. It's a picture of uh, accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's recognizing what he did for us on the cross, that very powerful, beautiful thing that enables, bridges the gap, enables us to have a relationship with God, to be able to approach God's throne boldly. What he did for us on the cross, which forgave all of our sins, wiped it clean, and it's this amazing picture of Jesus stepping in front of us. And when God, the Father, looks at us, he doesn't see us with all of our and all of our sin and all of our stuff. He sees the son, the blemish free, the, the lamb of God so beautifully put because of just the, the innocence of the lamb and um, the cleanliness of when you look to the lamb. And so that's all of that language that you hear in Christianity. It starts to make sense once you actually kind of break it all down. And it, it's actually an incredibly beautiful word picture. But God looks to us and when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by simply praying a prayer, I still can't believe it's as simple as that and asking him to come and be our Lord and Savior. When we pray that prayer, he steps in front and it's that beautiful picture like I described. And we then can be filled with the Holy Spirit, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, which simply really is being a disciple of Jesus, being more like him. It's a huge part of um, what we push for as a church is that we want to believe that we would be a church full of disciples of Jesus. And so if that's you today, I'm going to pray a line of the prayer and I'd ask you to close your eyes and really pray this from your heart. And as I say a line, you can repeat the line and then we'll say amen at the end. And by praying this prayer, you're inviting Jesus to come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins and to start walking a journey with him, becoming more like him. The prayer goes like this. Would you close your eyes with me today? Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. And I ask today, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you wash me clean and make me new? I thank you that from today I walk with you, that you fill my heart. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And every person said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if that was you today, just want to say um, this is the potentially the coolest moment, the most significant moment, the most important moment of your life. And I would encourage you to reach out to one of our hosts just by clicking that button that says, I raise my hand. Um, and one of our hosts will get in touch with you because we don't want you to do this journey alone. It can be really hard doing it alone. Christianity, uh, as a bunch of our team says, is a team sport. It's not an individual game. And so we want to make sure that you've got the right support, the right people around you. So click that button so that we can get in touch with you and start to walk this journey with you. 
Be blessed, church, and make sure that you tune in next week for, I don't know what week it is, maybe it's week six, maybe it's week seven, who knows, but it's going to be about the books of the Bible. See you next week. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.